This is CliffCentral.com. Cliff Central cameos on CliffCentral.com. Hello, 2016. And I'm Carmony, and this is CliffCentral.com. Um, now, look, guys, I'm really excited that we have a new year. It's an opportunity for all of us to make resolutions that you can actually keep because this is the leap year, and we need to make this count. Now, something that happened to me over December is I got in touch with an old family friend. And to me, it sounded like this guy has been depressed for the last five years. It was sort of like lost a job, lost a dad. And now he's doing this downward spiral. And it made me feel really helpless, I have to admit, because I didn't know what the signs were. I don't know how to give him help. I just know that there's a cry for help. And I talked to a couple of friends about it, and it seems as though... I'm not the only one that's got people in my life that are facing this problem and we're all just kind of tiptoeing around them, not really knowing how to react. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about depression as a whole and hopefully we'll be able to put depression as um, or mental health on our New Year's resolution list for 2016. So in studio with me today, um, I have got psychologist Anitha Puther. And yes, she's also my mom. Um, and while she's not being my mom, she's also a psychologist. So hi, mom. Hi there. <laughs> so look, um, I think one of the issues that I found was that I didn't know what the clinical definition of depression actually is. Do you want to shed some light on that? Well, I mean, if you look at the, the name itself, it's depressed and it's generally depressed around emotions. Uh, it impacts on your thinking process. It impacts on you physically. And there is a gradual, sometimes there's a gradual, um, progression into dis- depression. Start, it could start with dysthymia, which is, um, depressed low feelings, but still functional in your daily life with your work, studies, relationship, and gentle, uh, living processes. Uh, whereas severe major depression comes up with very specific signs um, that impact on all those uh, aspects of your life. Um, it often relates to changes in your eating patterns, your sleeping patterns, um, your sexual desire, um, your, your, your physical, your psychomotor uh, um, uh, daily kind of activities where you you find that you're more tired more often, uh, you're slower in terms of being able to move around and engage. Uh, it Look, impacts I, on 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 uh, a concentration. I, sorry to interrupt you, but I mm-hmm. feel as though after a big night out, I have felt all of those things. Mm-hmm. I have felt lethargic. I felt as though the world is just too much. Mm-hmm. So what happens when you might feel some of these symptoms. You know, you can't engage with people. You, you know, you just feel like maybe cutting your hair or taking a shower on the regular might be asking too much. Sort of when is that point when you sort of stop and you say, this is properly depressed? Well, those feelings, I mean, often we have those feelings, but they kind of pass very quickly. Uh, whereas the, the uh, symptoms I've um, explained have to be in, be in existence for at least two weeks uh, and it continues being a part of who you become and how, how you present yourself. Mm-hmm. So there is a basic uh, period bef- uh, after which we can um, diagnose someone as depressed or going into the process of depression. Mm-hmm. Well, would you say that depression is more a psychological or a chemical sort of imbalance? 
Well, it's a chemical imbalance when you feel down and the changes are lasting. Your body normally uh, manufactures chemicals, serotonin, that controls and manages um, happy feelings. Mm-hmm. And after a prolonged period, the body actually reduces and slowly stops producing these chemicals. And that's when medication comes into play. It becomes an important part of regaining your stability and your mental health and your emotional health. Well, to me, it sounds like it moves from one into the other, like it's a psychological repetitive downfall mm-hmm. that then affects your body in such a way that your body stops functioning in its natural sort of state. Exactly. It impacts very largely. It starts to impact on your emotional state first. Mm-hmm. And then that impacts on your cognitive, your thinking capacity, and then on your physical somatic um, uh, capacity. I'm I'm still sort of intrigued about when... So obviously you start feeling upset and you start feeling upset quite often and then it reaches the chemical phase. But your your moods are adaptive. So you wake up this morning and you think... I don't want to take a shower. And then that happens a few more times. But then maybe you'll take a shower on the 6th or 7th or whatever sort of day. Mm-hmm. Um, when is that point when you sort of think, because obviously people now use the word, I'm so depressed, uh, like, you know, the sharks lost this weekend. Or someone will say, I'm, I'm so depressed, I want to jump off a building. So where's that middle ground? And, you know, like, where's that point where you say to someone, this is not okay? Down feelings are not depression. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people misuse the word because um, it's associated with down feelings. You have, if you look at grief, um, when you when someone dies, it's normal to be sad, mm-hmm. and there's normal grieving. But when uh, it exceeds the normal bereavement period, then you start to question: Has this uh, loss triggered off a depression? Um, so different, you know, different, uh, emotional responses have very specific time frames. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like postnatal depression as well, triggered off sometimes by, uh, hormonal, uh, changes once you've had a baby. You have lots of estrogens within, uh, circulating in your body. Um, but also depression can be masked or, or other, uh, other medical conditions mask depression. It's like poor thyroid functioning, mm-hmm. um, HIV, uh, multiple sclerosis. These all impact on your hormonal um, production or your chemical production. So I think when you're deciding on whether it's depression or whether it's a consequence of another condition and a medical condition, um, you need to have this assessed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think people use the word "I'm depressed" lightly to just <laughs> describe. I'm really so depressed. A low I don't have shoes on my thighs. It becomes a little bit silly, but I'm glad that you touched on the difference between grief and depression because I also know that depression and anxiety are quite linked as well. Yes. So, I don't know. People walk around, and we've got we've now got social media. We've got social pressures. I know us who are in the entertainment industry. It's the fluctuations, the ebbs and flows. And we're going to be chatting to Donovan Goliath, who's a comedian in, in Johannesburg and South Africa in a bit. Because, I mean, with the death of Robin Williams, it's highlighted a whole sort of band of people, mostly comics, who you think are the funny guys, when in actual fact, they're all dying inside. They're kind of crusty mm-hmm. and gnarled. And like, is that linked to anxiety, do you think? Because, I mean, they've got a very high performance kind of job. 
Well, often comics uh, hold a lot of anxiety, and that becomes really the creative spirit with which uh, allows them to do their job. Um, and so it's a defense against the 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 anxious feelings that make them present the world as a very happy, funny place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that it often starts at that level. They say the, the, the class clown is really often an anxious child. Um, so yes, d- uh, anxiety is the beginning of um, a way to make the world look better mm-hmm. uh, by making it funny, by making it uh, nicer, by making other people laugh. Well, I'll be interested to see what Donovan has to say about this. But we've just got a message on WeChat from Sbeko. And he says, um, it's come to the point that I am depressed when I'm not on drugs. And when I get my fix, I am then depressed after my high. Now, Sbeko, I don't know what drugs you're necessarily talking about, if these are prescription or or, or other. So maybe hit us up with another message and, and let us know. We'll be happy to uh, to just chat about that. So, look, we're going to get Donovan on the phone. But before that, let's get a bit of a music break. CliffCentral.com At Sibanya Gold, we believe leaders are made, not born. We also believe we can create a sustainable legacy by helping to develop tomorrow's leaders today. Which is why we have partnered with the Leadership Platform to nurture leaders who are committed to growing our country's economy. We are proud to say it's an initiative that's already showing glittering results. Sibanya Gold. We are one. I've got fire for a heart. I'm not scared of the dark. You've never seen it look so easy. I got a river for a soul. And baby, you're a boat. Baby, you're my only reason. This is CliffCentral.com. Cliff Central cameos on cliffcentral.com. And in a rather fitting sort of array of music, that was Drag Me Down by One Direction. So we're back and we're still talking about depression here, and we've got Donovan Goliath on the telephone. Is Donovan? Hello. Hey, Don. Hi, what's up? Good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Can't complain. I'm in PE and I'm on the beach. That's great. Oh, look at you living your best life. <laughs> so Don, we've got our psychologist in studio today, Anitha. Anitha, Don. Hi, Don. Hi, how are you? Very well, thanks. I wish I was on the beach with you. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, I'm not going to lie. But it's PE, so yeah, there's nothing else here. <laughs> Look, anyway, we're going to drag you back from the beach and take you into, into our topic today, which is okay, depression. Cool. And yes. my research tells me that people like Stephen Fry, Conan O'Brien, Ellen DeGeneres, Louis C.K., Sarah Silverman, I mean, there's a whole list of comedians that have yes. all you know, reported being depressed at some point or other. And yes. what I wanted to know from you is why, why do you think that is? Like what happens in comedy and why is it so difficult and why does it have this negative effect on the people that we need to make us laugh? You know, I mean, I'm, I'll use myself as an example. I, I went through a state of depression last year as well and I couldn't figure out what it was. But I think it's, it's more than just comedians. I think it's, it's people who are ultra creative at times. Uh, there's a, your brain never stops working, you know, and you're constantly trying to, to create stuff, uh, you know, just not, not, not to, to impress people, but to impress yourself, just to get stuff out of you. So there's this constant thing inside of you um, to want to create and put out to the world all the time. And I think with comics especially, um, 
you know, we never stop working. We walk around, we see things, we hear things, and there's this constant processing action that's happening in our heads. And a lot of times we can never solve these things to turn them into jokes. Um, you know, you'd have a good run for about a month with the stuff that you're talking about. And then all of a sudden you dip and, uh, you know, the stuff you're talking about isn't as funny. Somebody else is doing a lot better than you. Um, you start to second guess yourself. Uh, you start to do stuff that you think people are going to like as opposed to, uh, you know, what you believe in and what you think is funny. So you end up having like a lot of internal battles with yourself. Um, you create these alter egos just to try and remain sane um, on stage, even though you're burning on the inside, which, which happens to a lot of guys. And I think that pressure of knowing that you are the guy responsible, guy or girl, responsible for, for cheering people up and being the clown or jester, so to speak, um, you know, you, you, you never put out your true emotions. You know, you never tell people, because you're a comedian, you'll never tell people that you're actually feeling crappy or you're feeling down or you're feeling hurt because that's not what you're supposed to do. And I think bottling those feelings in and putting this mask on just, just pulls you down even deeper and just forces you into this really dark and, and morbid place, you know, because you can never really express the dark side because that's not who you are. Sure. And I also think with a lot of comics, it starts when you're quite young. Because yes. would you say that you were the class clown making people laugh from a young age? You know what? I've always loved the attention. Um, I'm, I've, <laughs> I've, I've never really wanted to be a stand-up comedian. It, it hit me like four years ago when I got into comedy. Um, but I've, I've always loved the attention and, and, and impersonating people and, uh, you know, dancing. And my parents told me to dance because I just loved that, that immediate feedback. So it was a natural progression for me because I'm a creative person, an all-round creative person, and this is just one of the mediums um, that I that I use to express myself. But I find myself getting slightly frustrated. I control it now, you know, because I I, I understood what 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 has happened to me. You know, it's 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 a result of many things: it's burnout, um, fatigue, uh, just general frustration. Uh, you know, you you should you know that you should be at a certain place at a certain time, but you're not there yet. So you try and work twice as hard, which is bad for you physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all these things just add up and, 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 and just put you in that dark corner and so hard to come out of it. Oh, uh, yep. Jonathan, there's Donovan. no doubt. Donovan, sorry, my yes, apologies. Yes. Uh, there's yes. no doubt that um, the question is, where where does it start? Is it that the kind of person you are and the need to please and make people laugh uh, that determines the kind of job you go into and that adds that kind of pressure or is it that it begins once you start the job and often you find that if you look back on your you know on your own growing up um yeah. i wonder whether you were a ch- shy quiet withdrawn child before you became the funny man i was actually um i was very a very left field child mm-hmm. into very very strange things always on my own doing doing my own little things on the side, uh, learning and just taking in. But, you, you know, you raise a very good point there because I find that with a lot of young comics, I mean, myself included, when you get into it for the first time, mm-hmm. um, you're doing it for fun. There's no, there's, no, there's no real pressure. You're just putting stuff out there. You're having fun while writing. You're mm-hmm. having fun jumping on stage. And even if, if, if your stuff doesn't work and people don't receive it, you kind of just brush it off and laugh it off. Mm-hmm. I think it's... Once the, the pressures of society and business 
and strategy and social media and all of those things come to play and people are expecting a certain thing from you, that's when you start overthinking and mm-hmm. you lose that sort of childlike imagination of just, just creating for the fun of it because creativity pretty much just comes from having fun at what you're doing. It's not a spontaneity. Sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think we, we, we lose that spontaneity and, and, and you know, you, you can never figure out how to get it back because there's no real formula for it. Everybody's so different. Um, mm-hmm. Once, like I say, you know, all these, all these pressures kick in and, and, and you become a business. I mean, look at, look at uh, Dave Chappelle. is a really good example of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Chappelle created The Chappelle Show, which is still, to this day, one of the most successful comedy shows Comedy Central has ever produced. Um, and he created season one. And everything was cool. And it was just an idea. They bought into it. They worked hard to get it out. And they offered him you know, something ridiculous, like $20 million or whatever, to do season two. And he just walked away from it. And they couldn't understand why. They were like, yeah, but Dave, it's $20 million. Why would you walk away from this? And he literally disappeared. That's when he came and lived in South Africa for a while. He was milling around Durban. People thought he was on drugs. And in an interview with Oprah, he actually explained that, you know, you can't just forced me to recreate the Chappelle show. The Chappelle show came out of, out of something. We never intended it to be, you know, a seasonal thing. It was one idea. But mm-hmm. now you're offering me $20 million, which means that you're expecting a $20 million idea, which my brain doesn't think $20 million ideas because you've taken the fun aspect out of it. You know what I mean? And, exactly. and that's such a, such a good way to kind of, I think, illustrate or demonstrate exactly what we're speaking about now, that once you put money on the table and there's a business transaction mm-hmm. and an expectation from the other side and you know that you're going to be filtered, then or work, work towards the template, uh, then, you know, you take the fun element out and then it just all starts going haywire. Some people can't handle it, but I think the, the, the true artists, you know, the real creative people who, who live for, for the last and, you know, mm-hmm. who are more than just the business aspect of it, that's, that one really gets to them, you know, and you named a couple, commonly named a couple of examples earlier on. All those guys are, you know, they're just so entrenched in their art and what they do that the moment you disrupt it, it's just you, you shake their world and they can't come out of it. Do you think it's so much about, or more about, or less about disrupting it, but also saying that you've had this moment of brilliance, and it is then about this performance anxiety related, or maybe I mean we were talking about this earlier, the link between anxiety and then full blown depression. And I think when you're on stage and you have to perform, and much like Dave Chappelle, I mean you've yes. you've done this amazing thing. Musicians do yes. it, actors do it, uh, you know, yes. producers, a lot of creatives, actually. exactly, all yes. the creatives, because yes. it's because. I've heard that creativity, there's nothing truly unique about creativity. You rehash things that you've seen, but there's, there are moments that are truly brilliant. And then to try and orchestrate that again, because usually those brilliant moments just come about quite naturally and organically. That's and then true. to have to know, get to a point where you've got to squeeze them all together and make this amazing $20 million moment happen again, uh, that, that's anxiety-provoking for me sitting here right now. Oh, no, of course, of course. I mean, I would freak out if somebody had to say that to me, you know, like, yo, listen, you need to create that. Like, now it's season two, it needs to be better. I, mm-hmm. I just wouldn't know what to do. Um, and I, I just, that's why I could never understand how Trevor <laughs> was able to take on that job as Daily Show host. <laughs> it's, it's actually ridiculous. It's mind-blowing, you know. It's, it's, it's fascinating how he, 
he just he just took it on and 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 you know no stumbling blocks in the beginning he just went straight in and did it um i would i would have a heart attack I mean, it's it's insane because it's so not necessarily out of his scope but i mean he is out of his comfort zone heavily being in a different well, you know coming from a different country and 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 and, and it being such a strong politically slanted show it's it's fascinating you know how he was able to transition and just go boom this is it I'm taking over. Madness. But, no, I agree with you. Not just was it a, a political scope. He's filling huge shoes. He's now got an international audience. And I think social exactly. media adds such a huge amount of pressure to anyone in the entertainment industry because, oh. you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one of the things you forget that to become a creative or a stand-up comedian, there is a spontaneity. When you yes. overthink things, you lose that spontaneity. Exactly. And what Trevor Noah seems to still have is to be able to use that moment because there is a trust in himself and his capacity. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and, and I suppose that's what um helps you stop going into this um almost this whirlwind that yes. uh, swallows you by the pressure of what is expected. Yes. And there needs to be a degree of uh health and a d- degree of self-trust in it well, to be able to go yes. forward. I was going to ask, what are some of the coping mechanisms? If you're in the shoes of Trevor Noah or, you know, Dave Chappelle, what, what are the little things you can do? Cause Don, we were talking about earlier how it can move from a psychological sort of depression into a chemical depression. And I'm sure that there are ways to, to stop that before it leads to a complete body dysfunction. Yeah. I mean, look, for me, I, um, I, I try my best to, to try and stay mentally and physically fit because that obviously takes quite a toll. I mean, especially as comedians, the lifestyles we lead, uh, you really have to step away and, you know, run, for example, and, and, and start seeing the world in its natural state. I think we, we get so engulfed in watching, you know, a lot of comedy, watching too many comedy shows, seeing other people being successful, that you, that's when you start to cloud your mind a little bit. But for me, I paint. For example, that's mm-hmm. that's what I I've always painted my whole life. So I try and paint as much as I can. I write. Um, I'm a designer as well, um, and you know I've I've never really been into fitness and 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 eating well. But I've realized how important it is for me right now because of you know all the stress I put my body under. But I have to do something still creative, but completely different to writing jokes. And I find that when I do that, it puts my mind in a state of flow where I'm not overthinking and, you know, I'm just completely relaxed, completely calm and thoughts just jump out at me. Uh, I, I have thousands of notes on my phone of potential one-liner jokes and <laughs> I, I never really complete them. And, you know, if I'm busy painting and an idea pops up, it's normally a solution to a gag that I wrote two years ago that I could never find. But it's also just chatting to people, you know, like we, you, it's such a, it's a very strange thing. Like you can never just sit down and write comedy. You've got to spend a lot of time out there just being a normal human being and living. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the hard part. You, you know, everybody thinks that we lock ourselves up in the room and write for days, but it's, it's, it's about the experiences out there and understanding because you're speaking to these people at the end of the day. So you, that, that engagement is so, is so important. You have to walk away. Um, a lot of times, so everybody has their own has their own mechanism, obviously. But mine is it's still in the creative process. I paint, I do oil paintings, and that's 
that's my thing. It sounds brilliant. I think what what you're sort of saying is that people need to take a break from the hamster wheel because I think that's what happens. Yeah. As a, no, but as a creative, you you get this thought and then the thought leads off and then it's a spider diagram of your life and you don't really yeah. know where you started unless you take a step back. So yeah, that's true. And and I mean, it's a big fight that I'm having with myself right now. I uh, I, I read a book by a guy called Austin Cleone called Feel Like an Artist, which is a brilliant book about um, you know he touches on on, on the fact that creatives. Um, are always put under so much pressure, especially now with social media. We put under so much pressure. We see successful people and all these artists and musicians and, and whatever else coming up so fast, and you're trying to be like them and get there as quick as they as they as they got there. And he says, what what we always forget is that any successful person, um, you know, nothing nothing is original. You mentioned it earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, what successful people do, they're very good at looking at their heroes and the people that inspire them. They're able to understand what it is about those people that inspires them. So they're not copying these people. They're basically just emulating and taking little elements. And You know, they've got like 10 different heroes, and they don't necessarily have to be from the same discipline. I mean, you look at guys like Michael Jackson, for example. He was inspired by certain scenes from Bugs Bunny, uh, <laughs> you know, which inspired some of his dance moves. True story. Watch Bad 25, great documentary on, on how he made all the songs on that album. And... I think once you understand what you like and what you're about and you're able to translate that into one specific style, which is all you, then it's just free-flowing, you know? Otherwise, we're just constantly grasping, trying to find out who we are, what we do, what is our style. In in, in comedy terms is what is the voice, you know? The Mm -hmm. voice is what comedians all speak about. And until people can kind of emulate a joke of yours on stage or mimic your voice, like... You know, we can all mimic a Jerry Seinfeld, a Kevin Hart, a Bill Cosby, because they speak the same way. They have the exact same tone, the exact same structure every single time. Unless you do that, then you still, or unless you're able to do that, you haven't found your voice yet. So much pressure. (laughs) And yet, and yet, I want to say that you can find your own. You don't have to emulate and imitate somebody else. Well, that's true. You can be funny just being... Uh, Donovan. Look, I figured no, that's that. True. Don't you think there's a process though? You imitate others and then you find your voice through that. But as yeah. you were talking, what I was thinking is that you've kind of got to decrease the clutter. And yes. in, uh, I mean, as we've been growing up, the social media that we touched on earlier, because you're not just following your heroes, you're following people, you know, your frenemies from high school and you're going, oh, she had like a much better New Year's Eve party than me. You know, she's, yes. you know, she's looking better than me. She's got kids, you know, all those sorts of things. And it ends up being this constant comparison instead of, Cut, cutting down the, the clutter and being able to free your mind so that you're doing you yeah, yeah and just being more conscious of that but also about being balanced life is not all about work you look at a, a corporate executive if he's all about work he's really quite a dull boy mm-hmm. and if you look at creatives as well you get your creativity from engaging with the world in a balanced way that's exercising exactly and getting rid of the excess energy that gets trapped within you. Uh, just watching the sunrise huh, as a moment to relax. Little, and it, it's about so the true. little things that are the big things in life. So true. I, I so think true. The, the difference between entertainers or creatives and people who have a nine to five is that after they leave at five o'clock, they leave their job, you know, wherever they yeah. lie. Yeah. With That's us, it. I think it follows you everywhere you go. Yeah, you never sleep, man. It's just constantly rolling. I do that. I I get up. I mean, I have two notebooks next to my bed, one for comedy 
and one for any other ideas I think of. And I write in those regularly. I just wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, my God, idea. <laughs> you know, get up to go and pee at 3 a.m. And then you get the <laughs> thought while you're peeing. <laughs> and then you got to write it down and that'll keep you up for the next hour. Okay, well, <laughs> look, Don, uh, I'm going to say enjoy the beach and maybe Thank try you. not to drink the water before bed. Yes, probably not. <laughs> Catch you later, man. Bye. <laughs> cool, man. Thanks for the chat. Bye. This is CliffCentral.com. Cliff Central cameos on CliffCentral.com. <laughs> and that was Travel to Me by Iggy Azalea and Jennifer Hudson. Now, if you want to get hold of us, um, we're at cliffcentral.com. And maybe if you have any questions, the number is 0861 Or catch us on Twitter at cliffcentral.com or Facebook at cliffcentral or on WeChat. Because we've just got a response from Speco who um, messaged in earlier to say that when he's not on drugs or he feels depressed and then when he's not on drugs, um, then he needs a fix. And then he's depressed after the high. So I asked Speco to let me know if these were prescription or, you know, anything else. And he's messaged back to say, well, just for fun, I smoke weed. But when I go hard, meth and cat. I really feel depressed when I'm sobering up. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, certainly if he's, if he's depressed without the medication, without his, um, a substance use it means that he has is struggling with depression and that he's self-medicating this is his way of reducing the uh, depressive symptoms uh, and that is dangerous because you are your own doctor and you don't know anything about it you don't know the quantity or whatever in which to uh, make you feel better you're needing to go and see a professional who can help with the depression because the drug usage is as a result of the depression. Well, I mean, this all sounds quite expensive. What if people can't afford to go and see a fancy psychologist or, you know, get that sort of level of help? Uh, there's certainly state uh, facilities that will help. A psychiatric unit at any hospital, state hospital, will be able to help him with that. We have psychiatrists and psychologists um, at a state-provided hospitals. Mm -hmm. And what about the medication with that? Because, okay, fine, you can go and you can get the treatment for free, but aren't the medications quite costly thereafter? No, it is um, provided by um, uh, the state as well. Um, so the complete service is offered there. Uh, so it's important to be able to take it because trying to self-medicate depression yourself just exacerbates conditions it could get worse you could have start having hallucinations uh, and withdraw uh, on your withdrawals of your meds so it actually wor worsens it so it's important to deal with it right now okay well that's good advice Speco. um let us know if you need uh, i don't know details of a state hospital that we can put you in touch with but i mean this goes back to a sort of prescriptive drugs of depression how do antidepressants work because you said that it's a, a serotonin level sort of change or depletion yes basically the body naturally in a healthy state produces chemicals within it that help keep our psychological emotional uh, physical balance um when we in particularly um 
affective affective states that make us feel down, depressed, uh, dysfunctional, poorly functional uh, over a prolonged period of time, what our body naturally produces uh, starts to reduce. And eventually, if the symptoms are not dealt with, they stop producing that. So medication actually replaces the the, the chemicals that your body naturally pre, uh, um, manufactures. So that's the purpose of medication. And as you deal with the issues that lead you to your depression, uh, eventually with time you can actually reduce the medication and wean yourself off it. But therapy and medication go side by side. Sure. I was just going to say, surely with the medication, you've got to have a psychological, like working out what's going on with you psychologically, uh, not just chemically. But I know that the worst possible outcome of depression has been, has been suicide. We've seen Robin Williams and yes, you know, a lot of the stuff I've read have said that he had some kind of pre Alzheimer's or, you know, Parkinson's. or whatever, you know, some kind of neurological deteriora- deterioration that has led to his depression. But, you know, how, how do you, I don't know. How do you find out when someone's at that point? I think it's hard because I think the person is feeling very helpless. Um, and with the helplessness comes a helplessness if you can't actually help yourself out of the situation. And it literally is a spiraling into a sense of um, not being able to see your future and seeing it any better. And that's when you start with the thoughts, the ideations, the thoughts around how you could uh, help yourself in in killing yourself, really, because it just feels that there's no other way out of this. Um, if you look at Robin Williams, there's, there must have been a high anxiety. Mm-hmm. And high anxiety that's not dealt with um, progresses into a depressive state. Well, what do you think about people who, or what is your comment about people that uh, try and hurt themselves or feign suicide for for that, you know, cry for help? Or uh, what's the difference between those people and those that plan to commit suicide and actually succeed? Well, I mean, often you find that people's cry for help. I'm not serious about it. I cut myself, but not too seriously. And this is a way of saying to the world, um, I am, I'm wanting help. I want people to give me help because I can't help myself. You often find this with adolescents. It starts there. Mm-hmm. Um, adolescents, I always say, is such a psychotic state. <laughs> I, I, I use it as a, uh, in a very light way when I say psychotic because you find adolescents are happy one minute and they're sad the next minute and they, uh, they're crying and they're laughing and they, they go through almost the entire season in one day. Um, and so it's the beginning of that. And often angry people start to inflict the anger on themselves. And that is the beginning of the cutting. Mm-hmm. And that gets progressively worse because with it also comes changes in personality. And then you can also have a depressive personality. You can have full-blown depression. A lot of the way you handle your emotional state or your emotional state is handled by the caregivers and and parents around you, in a way, determines how you go into adulthood because it's it's the beginning of your personality that stays with you for the rest of your life. Do you not think that your the people or your community or even just your sort of um, 
strata of society allow you to feel depressed or not because i think depression has been seen as the the disease or the ailment of the of the middle class because they're allowed to feel awful or terrible about what's happening but if someone who was from you know a lower socioeconomic bracket who you know had to walk to get water or who had to you know live a much harder life do you think that there is depression in lower socioeconomics or lower income households as well there certainly is um uh, depression in low socioeconomics but i think the daily struggle of life almost doesn't allow you to sit with these thoughts and feelings you have to get out there and do what you have to and it becomes a necessary part of your life uh but it also feels like you you often skip that depressive state and go into a more uh serious mental uh, uh state which is often a you know a a schizophrenic or um, an extreme severe mental disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, with with middle class uh, people, the basics are there. And if you look at the the needs of a human being, your first need is food, shelter, love. Your development of yourself and even sitting with your thoughts and feelings are higher order needs. Mm-hmm. And if you look at middle class homes, those basic necessary um, needs are being met. And so that is why I think presentation of depression um, is more prevalent in middle class and upper and, and higher socioeconomic uh, uh, strata. Okay. Well, I think before people get to that sort of point, if like this family friend of ours who I've been concerned about this holiday, what are the sort of telltale signs? Because for me, he's been acting out. He's been very aloof. Um, I've had conversations with his mom and he hasn't been taking care of himself physically. He hasn't been able to hold on a job. Um, he, he avoids people and contact for the most part of it. Um, I mean, those are some of the signs. What, if you see all of those things, how do you help that person? You know, there's, you can actually help by guiding them into professional help. But a lot of that help can only be given if the person is aware enough of their own condition and is willing to help. We can offer you medication. If you don't take the medication, uh, there's nothing any professional or any outside help can offer you. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say to patients, we only do half the work. The other wa- half you do on your own. Mm-hmm. I think in real serious conditions where people's lives are at risk, their lives or other people's lives by them, it is possible to commit. The state can take responsibility to commit the person into a psychiatric facility where they are forced to get help. But this sounds like a sort of a last resort. That person has to now hurt themselves or hurt someone else or, you know, do something incredibly drastic. I just kind of wish that I mean, there are other ways to get that person to realize where they're at. Um, But it feels like in the specific case, that person has to go above and beyond. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, when friends and family are able to recognize that the person is feeling down, especially when it's not reached a point where that person can't see it. It's, you know, it's early in the... It's early in the depressive phase that the greatest help can be given when the person can think rationally because often in seriously depressed situations, your rational capacity gets lost as well. 
I have to agree with you. So look, I think what we can get out of this today is you need to feel centered and need to feel yourself and be able to give yourself a break from uh, from your daily life for mental health. And that's what we've been talking about uh, today. Um, oh, <laughs> Duncan's saying to me, we must not, not also not be so hard on ourselves because I think that we we get into this rut and it's that hamster wheel we were talking to Donovan about where you want to get better. You want to be be better than yourself and achieve all these goals. And I think at the end of the day, we end up putting so much pressure on ourselves that I think it's anxiety and possibly, hopefully it will never get to full-blown depression like what we've been talking about today. So my outro is... um yeah, just take care of yourself and your mental health for 2016 because that's the thing that's going to drive you forward and make you achieve those goals. So if you want to catch me on any of the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, I'm at Carmony Pather. And that's me out for Cliff Central. This is CliffCentral.com.